Brilliant. Well, I was going to be preaching about big praise this morning, but uh, I've I've changed that, and I'm, I'm going to talk this morning on how to deal with evil, because I think that's what we're facing in our nation at the moment, something that has come along, which we haven't really experienced uh, in the same way. I'm sure you've seen the stats that are out there saying that on a percentage basis, the number of people that were murdered in New Zealand on Friday is greater than that of 9-11 in America. Um, this is a big deal. And um, how is it that our nation has been brought to a halt by essentially one person? You know, while I'm amazed at how much of a difference can be made by one person, I'm also amazed and how much destruction can occur through one person. Many, many years ago, I, was, I dealt with a church leader who had pursued their own personal desires for greatness and had wrecked the lives of hundreds. And I met with many of those people and heard many heartbreaking, horrific stories. Uh, someone's kid who was called out in a service and prophesied over that they were rebellious and he, were hereby kicked out of the church in a service. Elders who tried to share concerns in a caring and confidential way who were then called to a meeting and told to leave and never come back. Staff members who were abandoned at events with no way home despite the leader having an empty vehicle after the particular staff member had actually given their car away to another colleague who was unwell and they were just left. And I also sat in the room with this person. They did many good things as a leader. That's the reality. But as things began to go bad, they just couldn't see that they had done anything wrong. They were bewildered at the hostility of some people towards them. People left in droves. One person can wreck so much. And the reality is it's more common than we realize. Sometimes that one person might be someone in your company or might be someone on your board or might be someone in your neighborhood Sometimes they're the leader of a country or the leader of a group or, or a leader of an organization that spreads terror and chaos. Sometimes it's a person acting alone or in a small group. But regardless, the destruction can be horrific. How do we deal with someone who disrupts everything? You know, today I need to remind you, and this is incredibly important, I need to remind you that God has called you to be a steward of a vision. And together we're part of a large vision, but for you individually also. You have a sense, hopefully, of what your life is all about, of the difference that you are called to make. It might be a vision for changing something in your community or in your world or in your family or maybe in the nation. But we are all called to steward a vision. And here's the big question. Are we going to let one person stop the achievement of that vision. You know, some people are saying New Zealand will never be the same. They're saying that this man has changed it forever. And I understand what they're saying, but I have to say, I want to say, let's not let this man change New Zealand. Let's keep New Zealand the same. Let's still be a safe place for people who have lost everything. Let's still be a kind place for people who are looking for somewhere to call home. Sure, let's be more vigilant. Let's be more aware. But let's not become fearful and frightened because of this one thing. Now, a person who disrupts, a person who destroys, they can be very smart people. 
They may be an achiever. They may be a person who climbs to the top of whatever they are a part of. They can be charismatic people. But we must realize this power, this person has the power to stop an entire organization, to stop an entire mission, to stop an entire nation if we will let them through divisiveness, through intimidation, and through fear. Now, Dr. Henry Cloud, a very famous Christian psychologist, teaches very insightfully about different kinds of people. And he says that in his experience, you can essentially put people into one of three groups. And you, you can group them based on the answer to this question. What do you do when truth or when reality comes to you? What do you do when truth or reality comes to you? Because, you know, people are very different in how they deal with truth. And I want us to look at this very quickly this morning. Dr. Henry Cloud says there are essentially, you know, like, and, and, and this is just his ideas, but it's quite helpful. He says essentially you can put people into one of three camps. There are wise people, there are foolish people, and there are evil people. Now, we need to understand as we go into this that we all have the propensity for all three of these. That's part of the human condition. We all have the potential to be wise, and sometimes we are, and it feels good, and it feels big, and we make a difference in an incredibly positive way. But we also all have the potential to be fools, and I know that I do. And sometimes we are. We do dumb things. Sometimes we do dumb things again and again. And it's embarrassing, and it's not fun. But we also all have the potential to be evil, and sometimes we are. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all done things that are not nice, that are spiteful or childish or dishonest or nasty or hurtful. And it's a wee bit frightening. The problem is, is that some people make a career out of these things. So let me very quickly go through each of these. And then I want to talk at the end about how do we deal with evil when it comes to us. You see, the definition of a wise person is this. A wise person is someone that when the truth or when the light comes to them, they adjust themselves to that light. That's the definition of a wise person. When light comes, when truth comes, they see that and they go, and they adjust themselves to that truth. Many years ago, I had, I had major back problems. I was in constant, unrelenting pain. It was not fun. I went to a physio in desperation. I couldn't even sit down. I was in so much pain. And he examined me and worked on me, and then he said this to me. He said, you, sir, are a middle-aged man. I nearly punched him at that point. You have a sedentary job. And unless exercise becomes a part of your life, welcome to your future. Who knows that sometimes we don't want to hear the truth. <laughs> we don't necessarily love it when light comes. But what did I do about that? I started running three times a week and have done pretty much consistently for the decade since of that conversation. What do you do when light comes to you? What do you do when truth and reality comes to you? And then how do you deal with wise people? Well, the great thing with wise people is you just got to talk to them, coach them, give them good information, give them clear feedback. 
Because wise people respond to leadership. In Proverbs 12, verse 15, it says the wise listen to advice. In fact, wise people love advice so much that you can tell them off and they'll love you for it. Proverbs 9, verse 8 says, rebuke the wise and they will love you. So that's what a wise person is and does. And that's how we deal with wise people. What about a fool? The definition of a fool is this. You know, and you've got to understand that a fool can be an unbelievably successful person. They might be the smartest, the brightest, the most talented, the most charismatic person in your organization or in your business. But when the light comes to a fool, instead of adjusting themselves to the light, they try to adjust the light. What does that look like? They try to minimize it. They try to externalize it. They try to blame something or somebody else. Because there's nothing wrong with them, so there must be something wrong with the light. You hear things like, it wasn't my fault, or that's not fair. You don't understand how difficult it is for me. Or, well, look, if you would just give me the resources that I need, we could get this done. And when people do this, when their first reaction is to shift blame or direct fault elsewhere, that's a warning sign that you're dealing with someone who does not deal with the light in the same way a wise person does. These people won't own what the light is showing them. And the problem is it becomes a hopeless situation because no matter how often you try and address it with this person, no matter how often you talk to a fool, you know what? You just keep going around the same thing, the same pattern again and again and again. I know that some of you here know exactly what I am talking about. Now, Proverbs 26, verse 11 says that a dog returns to his vomit. And sometimes that's what foolish people do. How do you deal with foolish people? Proverbs 9, verse 8 says, Do not confront a mocker lest they hate you. Now, the great challenge with someone who's deep in foolishness is it's very, very difficult to talk to them. You really are going to gain nothing. And the problem is, is that meanwhile, they are bringing your mission to a screeching halt. Because the outcomes so often in their area or their department or what they're responsible for, they just keep on not being done. And what do you do about that? It's time to have a different conversation, a conversation about patterns and limits and boundaries. When you're dealing with a foolish person, you have to limit your exposure to what they are doing. They require management, not leadership. You have to give clarity of expectations and consequences and be prepared to follow through on those consequences. Because a foolish person will only change when they become desperate enough to deal with the pain of the consequences of their actions. The good news is is that Jesus came for fools, fools like me and fools like you. So we can keep believing. But when you're dealing with a fool, you need to stop the talking. And then thirdly, the definition of an evil person is this. An evil person simply has destruction in their heart. You know, I find this one most difficult to deal with because I grew up, and especially in my teaching career, I came at everything with the belief that actually everyone had good in their heart. And it's been a frightening thing over the years at various times to come across people who just have a different thing in their heart. And I... And there aren't many of them. I haven't met many people like that. But when you do, it's quite a disturbing thing. 
A person with destruction in their heart is the person who stands up in a meeting and says, I will bring this place down. Or they're the person who looks at you and says, I'm going to get you no matter what it takes. It's like, where, where does that come from? Well, I think we know where that comes from. Again, many years ago, I had a guy come along to a church a couple of times, heard me preach in an evening service, and took offense with something that I said. So he came and saw me, and we talked about it, and, and I, I took the low road, you know, because, because I'm, an, I'm an ambassador of Christ, I'm an agent of reconciliation, I want us to reconcile on this. So I took the low road, I apologized, I, I, I said that I felt that what I said was still biblically accurate, but look, hey, if there was an offense, I'm so sorry. But the weirdest thing is he just wouldn't take it. And he kept coming back again and again. And as days turned into weeks, I found this most perplexing, especially as he would stand around at the, at the door of church and talk to people as they came out, grilling them on why they're coming to a church with a pastor like me in that. As those weeks turned into months, he began to text me 20, 30, 40 times a day, just abusive texts. texts. He visited every other minister in the city I was living in and told them that they should be doing everything they can to remove me from the pulpit. They contacted our national leadership team. He contacted our national leadership team to complain about me. And there was a point in all of this, and I suddenly had the awareness, this guy doesn't want to resolve this issue. He's not interested in that at all. He just wants me gone. Things continue to escalate. He emailed all my staff and repeat, uh, repeatedly. He, he finally managed to get Liz's email address and began to send, send Liz emails uh, telling her details of my supposed uh, sexual dalliances, which, of course, was absolutely ridiculous but quite disturbing. It came to a head after about 14 months where I was on a missions trip in the Philippines. We were on an island off the coast of Philippines, a very, very poor island. We were there doing a medical mission. We're miles away from any airport, and he sent me a text saying, I hear you're out of the country. Who's watching over your wife and children? That's someone with destruction in their heart. And there's just nothing you can do in a situation like that other than protect yourself. You see, how do we deal with these people? Proverbs 20 verse 26 says this, A wise leader winnows out the wicked, and he drives the threshing wheel over them. A metaphor for bringing them to justice. Evil people must be exposed and brought to justice, and that is what is happening in our nation right now. That is what good leadership must do at any cost. And if that, in a more personal setting, in a company or a business or in a situation that you're in, that might mean getting a lawyer, that might mean paying some money and going to court, but it will be worth it because when you deal with an evil person, it becomes all about protection. But this leads us to the most important question I want to deal with today, which is this. What happens to those who experience evil, who are on the receiving end, the hurting, the bereaved, the devastated. You know, Paul gives us powerful instruction. And let me just take you very quickly through several chapters in his letter to the church in Rome. In Romans 9 and 10, Paul is in anguish over people that God loves, but who don't know God. In Romans 11, he, he talks about God's incredible grace, about the greatness of God's love for those who are far from him and how God is doing everything he can to reach out and include them in. And he also talks about how we simply cannot understand the greatness of God's love and the greatness of his grace. 
And then in chapter 12, he talks. He's on the same theme, and he talks about the power of serving others. He says that love must be sincere, that we must hate evil, but be devoted to one another and serve the Lord. He tells us to be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. He says rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. He exhorts us to live in harmony with people. He says we are to be a people of empathy who do our best to walk in another person's shoes. And then in verse 21, he gives this remarkable summary. He says this, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What a powerful thought. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And can I say this morning that that is the key. When evil comes like it did on Friday, we will not, we must not be overcome by evil. We must not come under it. We must not let fear get a foothold in our hearts. We must not allow ourselves to begin to play a defensive game. We must not do that. We must not let it win. And it's interesting, in the original scripture, the word overcome is the Greek word nikau. It means to conquer. Now, to conquer doesn't mean to just win, you know, to sneak in with a late try. It means to overrun, to overwhelm, and to overturn. And to overcome evil means that we have to conquer it. We've got to overrun it. We've got to overwhelm it, and we've got to overturn it. We will not let it dictate what we do or how we live. And instead, we overcome evil, and here's the key. We don't overcome it with retaliation. We don't overcome it with revenge or judgment. Paul is so insightful. He says we overcome it with good, with an avalanche, with an overwhelming response of doing that is right with prayer and with courage and with kindness and with love and with generosity, which is exactly what we are seeing today in our nation. Do not worry. What happened on Friday happened in a certain place with a certain group of people, but it could so easily have happened in a different place to a different group of people. It could have so easily been a different religious group or no religious group at all. It could have been a school. Who knows? It could have been anything. But here's what we do know. There's no point in worrying about it. There's nothing that we can do to prepare for the day of evil when it comes other than to keep on being who we are. See, this is the beautiful thing. There was a person, you would have read the story or heard the story, And the second siege came to an end where this guy got up and rushed him and took the gun off this guy, wrestled the gun off this guy. Now, I'm telling you, I don't know who that guy is, but I can tell you something about that guy. That guy's not a hero because he all of a sudden was prepared to take out a gunman. He was a hero because every day he's a hero. Every day he does the little things. Every day he does the... I don't know if you heard, but that guy apparently is involved in the car park team in that facility. That guy there serves on the door. That is a guy who was used to getting up every day and going, how can I serve this person today? How can I serve this person today? How can I serve this person today? And when the day of evil came, he just knew that whatever he had to do, he had to serve these people today and do whatever it took. 
There is no point worrying about these things. What we must instead do is to continue to build the habits, those little habits every day of being kind, of being good, and of serving others, because then when the day of evil comes, we will be more equipped than anything else we can possibly do. Do not fear. Fear is a spirit, as Pastor Bob said this morning in our prayer time together. It's a spirit that robs and steals and destroys. And do not allow fear to come in. You see, the antidote to fear is love. Because perfect love drives out fear. And so instead, we must learn to love and love more deeply than we ever have before. And here's the paradox. Because while we are trying not to worry and trying not to fear, we will also grieve. And we must do. You know what? It's different for all of us. Like Pastor Bob said in the, in the prayer meeting this morning, he said, you know, it's really only starting to hit him now. For some of us, it hits us immediately. For some of us, it won't hit us for another week. For some of us, when something like this happens, we get sad. That's what that's how we respond. We always get sad. For some of us, we get angry because we always get angry. Some of us respond by getting depressed. We do these things in different ways, and we must make room for each other to do that. And we must understand that we will go through this in the way we go through this, yet at the same time, we must not allow grief to dictate that we must also worry and be fearful. You can grieve and you can celebrate. You can grieve and you can be strong. You can grieve and you can pick yourself up and keep going, and that is what we must do. Three things that we can do to overcome evil from what Paul says. Number one, live at peace. Live at peace with one another. Romans 12, verse 18, he says, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. You know, our job is not to judge people. Our job is to live at peace with people as far as it depends on us. Because when we live at peace with people, then people see the gospel. They see the good news in us. And that will change people's lives. Secondly, Paul says, we are to trust God with our injustices. With our hurts and with our anger, we need to trust God with those things. Paul writes in verse 19, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge, and I will repay, says the Lord. Time for us to take those things. And I'm not just talking about what happened here. For some of us, we've been through traumas in our lives. We've been through difficult things, and for some of us, we are still holding on to old grievances. We're holding on to old injustices. Let me ask you this. How much good has that done you so far? Maybe it's time to trust God with our injustices. Thirdly, Paul says, treat the one who is different from you as if he is the same as you. In verse 20, he says, and he's quoting a scripture from Proverbs. He says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Zena this morning in prayer morning brought out the sense of the importance of the Good Samaritan. Let me just pick up on that for a moment. You know, the Good Samaritan reached out to someone different from him and treated him as if he was someone the same as him. And we too, and that's what I love about this church, 
I love about this church, I sometimes have friends who visit from other parts of the country and they come in here and we'll catch up with them in the cafe afters and they go, oh my gosh, I can't believe how multicultural this church is. And every time they say it, I'm surprised. Why? Because I keep forgetting. Because you stick around this place long enough and you stop seeing that the fact that we look a little different and some of us have got better tans than others... We're just friends. We're just family. It's a beautiful thing. Evil does not decide our culture. God does. And we do. And may we decide today to go from this place and be even better than we've ever been at living at peace, at trusting God with our injustices, and at treating the one who is different from us as if he is the same. Amen. I'm going to ask the, the team to come now. You know, some of, there may be people here today who don't know Jesus, and they don't have that relationship with God. I was 22 when I made that decision. 22 at 3 o'clock in the morning in a gas station on Manukau Road. That was when I made the decision that I needed to hand my life over to Jesus. Maybe that's you this morning. The Bible says that for God so loved the world, the world and all of its myriad colors and religions and creeds, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believed in him will not perish but have eternal life. I'm telling you, God loves you and he wants you to know and experience him and his love and plans for your life. But the Bible also says in Romans chapter 3 that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I have, you have, we all have rejected God. At some point, it's the rightful authority in our lives. And so because of that, we can't know God or experience his love in our lives. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus came and lived the life we should have lived, died the death we should have died in order that we could come back into a relationship with God, a personal, loving friendship, where our sins might be forgiven because of what Jesus has done. And now the decision is up to you. The Bible also says that for all those who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. I want to give you that opportunity right now. Can we take a moment, bow our heads, close your eyes. If that's you this morning and you're like, you know what, I don't know God. I haven't experienced God's love in my life and I want to know Him. If you're willing to receive Him this morning, He is waiting to come into your life. And you just have to invite Him in. And you can do that in a prayer, something like this. Let me pray this this morning and let me invite you, if that's you this morning. If your heart is thumping inside your chest and you know that I'm talking to you today, I'm telling you, that's God's presence you can feel drawing you and calling you, wanting to know you. Why don't you pray a prayer like this? Pray with me this morning. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you that you love me. I confess that I am a sinner. But I believe Jesus came for me. This morning, I receive you into my life. Forgive me my sins. As I forgive those who have sinned against me. God, make me new right now. Thank you that you are with me. In Jesus' name, amen.